Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Alex Sullivan. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich podcast. Welcome to episode 11 for season 10. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, June 23rd of 2020 for release on July 15th. This episode is sponsored by Cobaton. A recent industry survey by Cobaton found that 51% of mobile apps are releasing daily or weekly, with almost 40% of teams spending nearly half of their budget on test automation. This 300-plus page downloadable survey provides a great opportunity to compare your team's release performance against new industry benchmarks. Cobaton is a mobile testing platform that ensures your brand delivers the perfect mobile experience with each release. Click the link at the bottom of the podcast page to download their 2020 State of Automation Survey or visit Cobaton.com to sign up for a free trial and get started today. And we'd like to thank Cobaton for sponsoring this episode of the RayWenderlich.com podcast. I'm Alex Sullivan, here with my kaleidoscopic co-host, Drew Freeman. You gotta put on your special glasses. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. <laughs> Our guest for this episode is Chris Belanger. Chris lives in Nova Scotia and has been programming since he was seven. He has worked all throughout the tech industry and is now editor-in-chief for Raysware and Ray Wenderlich. He's been with Raysware for just shy of five years. On this episode, Chris is gonna walk us through the wonderful world of Git. Later, Drew will talk about looking back on WWDC. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi guys, it's a yeah. blast to be here. It is great to have you on the show. I don't think we've had you on the show in, have you, were you on the original version of the show? No, this is my virgin episode. This is my, oh, this, this is, is my wonderful. Voyage. It's on the great podcast. to have you here. And Long time the, listener, first time caller. You know, all day, so. <laughs> so let me ask you a question I've been asking everybody. How are you doing with weathering and staying in place and all of that with the uh, with the COVID crisis? It's not been too bad. Uh, so, uh, you know, as as you know, RayBenedict.com is completely fully remote. So I if, if my family hadn't had to come home, I would have had no idea what was going on, to be honest here. But it's it's gone well. Um, I've had to share an office with my wife who's a teacher. So she's had the whole trying to teach her class remotely while trying to teach our mm. kids remotely while we've been home. Oof. School has finally ended. Uh, my wife's work is slowly starting to ramp down as well. I reclaimed my office, which is a bonus <laughs> as well. Um, and just last week, they uh, burst the bubble here. So we don't need familial bubbles anymore. We can go and have small gatherings of 10 so we get to see our friends. So things are opening up here. Um, I think we've behaved. And if we continue to behave, things should be okay. So um, in the global scheme of things, we have weathered it really well in this part of the world, to be honest. Canada's been doing really, really well with it. For the most part, yeah. For the most part. With Nova Scotia, you're actually, you're not in Eastern time, right? You're one time zone over? Yeah, I like to make the joke because uh, there's some people that don't understand there's anything past Eastern time. So I would say I, I live in a raft in the middle of the Atlantic. That's why I have this weird time zone. But yeah, so I'm I'm an hour ahead of Eastern right here. So what uh, what's the name of the time zone? Atlantic. And you are you are born and bred in in Canada. I am born and bred in Atlantic Canada. I'm a coastal kid. Oh, how has the weather been out there? Because I know it's been really warm getting down into uh, into uh, Ontario. Ontario is always warm, except when it's winter, then it's just freaking cold. Uh, we, I, I, five weeks ago, it was snowing here, Drew. So oh my goodness. Five weeks ago, yeah, I swear to God, Alex, it was, it was snowing here. Um, 
But um, since then, a heat wave hit us last week in the 90s. If you want to talk American knees, you know, in the, in the 30s in Celsius. Um, and humid, which we're used to down east, we're up by the ocean. You know, you can't blame the humidity. Um, but it's it's beautiful now, as you can tell. I always dress for the weather, whether no matter what month it is. But this is this is my time of year, man. This is oh, when yeah. the Hawaiian shirts get to shine because this is their natural habitat. So, so let me ask you: when you're not hunkered down, or when you're preparing to burst the bubble and and do things, what do you do to kill the time that is not code or tech related? Oh, wow. I mean, there's lots of things we do. My wife and I are what we call beach hunters. So we live in mm-hmm. Nova Scotia and it's almost an island, except for a very small isthmus that connects us to the mainland. Isthmus, good word. Isthmus, yeah. I get bonus points for using that. Yeah. I've never had to use that word in my small life duck, before. And a small duck drops from the ceiling with $50 in it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And those of you who got that joke are really old. Very old. Um, so there's we're surrounded by coastline. So what we do is a lot is we try and find all these kind of quote unquote undiscovered beaches, at least undiscovered to us. So we do that a lot. Even in the wintertime, um, we try and have a goal of having like one beach selfie every month out of the year. So even in the middle of snowstorms, we've been to the beach. That's one of our great loves is the coast. Um, As well, I love playing guitar, canoeing, just being in the woods, lakes, the oceans. Um, A lot of outdoors time. There's, uh, I'm very lucky to live in what I think is one of the most beautiful beautiful parts of the world at bar none i'm a bit biased of course but still it's gorgeous here mountains rivers valleys lakes oceans uh it's 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 a beautiful area so to i want to be outside in it as much as i can so if i could work outside and i do sometimes i would do it all the time you have good wi-fi there for outside the house no it's terrible outside the house actually (laughs) it gets me out of some zoom calls just saying so And I know I, I listen to Ray's. I, I listen to Ray's live uh, his live cast, and I remember he said that it's all about having faces in the Zoom calls. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So bad Zoom connectivity, no bad, no no good faces. No, nope, no good, just the audio. But it's it's uh, anyways. It's um it's the outside has become sort of a, an impromptu office around here because even though the house isn't that small. Um, if you need some peace and quiet, sometimes outside is literally the only place to get it when you've got, you know, two kids who are also on their own zoom calls for classes and then a spouse who was also on a zoom meeting with people. It's like the only quiet place is outside. How old are the kids? Uh, let's see. My oldest just turned 16 actually, which blows the mind as well. And my youngest, uh, she is 11 and a half. Oh, that's right. I remember we, we talked and mine sits like right in between the two of yours. Yes, that's right. It's a great age actually. Um, because they're really coming to their own as young adults right mm-hmm. now with all the struggles that come with that but at the same time it's uh, you start to see them branch out into these really adult kind of interests and uh you know thinking forward to their own future so it's really interesting like a little like petri dishes that you can just see mature it's pretty cool mm. you have a petri dish maybe not the best uh yeah i like i like that <laughs> not, not, that's not the best thing right now <laughs> 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 All right, let's let's talk Git. Uh, now, mastering Git, which is is it? It's still in preview as of when we recorded this episode. I don't think it's in full release yet. Yeah, that's right. It's still in uh, pre-release right now. We still have one. We still have two chapters, I think, left to come. But that's about it. Now, you are chief. You are editor in chief. How many of the books have you authored over your career with Ray? Authored? This is only my second. I had. A tiny, tiny role on TVOS Apprentice, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, but anyway, <laughs> someone had to come and write the, the TVJS and the JavaScript chapters. So mm-hmm. I took those over because, like I said, I've been 
doing this professionally for 20 some years. So it's like, yeah, JavaScript, who doesn't know JavaScript? So I took those <laughs> over. Um, but I don't. then this is, <laughs> 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 you're happy you because of it. Yeah. He looks so young. I mean, that's, that's why he has this youthful glow about him. Um, well, me, this, but this, is, this is my COVID beard. <laughs> I was clean shaven two so months fat. ago. <laughs> and not bald either. <laughs> um, but this is the first book I've ever taken on myself. Actually, I've edited pretty much all of them and they're all beautiful books. But this is the first one I actually got the chance to sit and create it. Let's let's take a, a, a moment and talk about source control because oh, yeah. it surprises me how many people do coding and don't actually understand the concept of what source control is for. Right. Yeah. Like source control is, I look at it as traceability. So um, people think of it as a backup. It's not exactly a backup. I mean, you can use it as a backup and a lot of people do at the same time, but it's really about a, a system of having something that's really traceable with your code where you can see the history of its progress of, of the progress. And you can also sort of look back in the history, see how did you get from there to here? Um, now, when you take a distributed control version system like um, Git, for instance, it also has this wonderful ability of supporting lots of distributed development. Mm. Um, I cut my teeth on version control systems 20 years ago, which makes me old. Um, it was way back in the days of terrible tools, and it was called uh, Marant PVCS, I think, and it was a lock, modify, unlock model, which is just terrible. Um, we had to go to the back end and release semaphores and stuff all the time. But it worked, but it wasn't, it wasn't great at promoting lots of development because we had developers in the shop sitting around like this, waiting for something to be unlocked so they could commit their changes, which was terrible. So, um, you know, when you have a distributed version control system like Git, for instance, you have this wonderful ability for people to work in a very distributed fashion, which um, it's, it's one of the, I think, the most powerful aspects of Git. Now, before Git... The big, uh, the big boy on, on campus pretty much was subversion. And before that, we could go through a whole <laughs> litany of words that predate subversion. What is it about Git that has made it stand out above subversion and all the others to make it? it it's been pretty well locked in for quite some time now. Yeah, and it's funny because Git in itself is not that old. It's only about 15 years old, which mm -hmm. is funny. But it's really become kind of the cemented standard of, of mm -hmm. software, distributed software development. Um, before I came into working with Git, I actually worked with Subversion. Um, and Subversion has kind of got this interesting um, server client kind of model. It's, it's, it's a centralized repository. And as you can imagine, if a centralized control repository goes away under Subversion, everyone's left hanging. So everyone's orphaned mm -hmm. at that mm -hmm. point. Um, Git takes it from a kind of a client server model into this, almost this, uh, distributed net. If you think of it that way, this distributed net graph, basically where you've got, everyone's got a copy of the repo. So if one node drops out of that net, it doesn't matter. And I think that's the real beauty of Git and, and other, there's other distributed, you know, control systems as well. But the fact that Git has this sort of redundancy mm -hmm. is what I love about it. It's um, it's robust. It's it's massively scalable. Um, and I think that's what really has caused Git to come to the forefront and be sort of like the standard these days, just because it has been able to scale. So once Internet connectivity got to the point where we had millions of people contributing to open source repos and stuff like that, 
that's where Git was able to scale and really provide that to people. So you didn't have the centralized store. You didn't have anything like that. It was just a, kind of a massive free-for-all with all this distributed repo work. And I think that's the strength and the beauty of Git. Now, I am, uh, I, I am a, a disciple of Atlassian's uh, source tree. And as a result, I am very GUI oriented into Git, but I get the impression, am I being lazy by not actually learning all the commands? Because I know that there is just a lot of, a lot of Git. Well, do you want to know a dirty secret, guys? Um, I used GitHub Desktop for most of writing the Git book, which feels just sacrilegious. Alex gets me, right? Um, but, but here's the thing is because the workflow we have for our books is massively simple. Mm. Um, and although if a person limits themselves to just using a GUI tool, I mean, there's some excellent ones out there like Tower is great uh, as well. Um, GitHub Desktop is workable for the most part. I'll say mm. that about it. It, it solves some problems. Um, but it's great for neophytes as well. Um, but one of the problems with using GUIs, it's really about, do you want the tool to get the job done? And if so, a GUI is fine. But if you want to understand what's going on, especially when things go wrong, and with Git, they will and they do go wrong, um, understanding what's happening underneath. And that's what a lot of this book is about because it's tool agnostic. We don't talk about any GUIs in the book as well. So it, it's just about understanding what's going on under the hood to understand why does Git do what it does? Why does it frustrate me so? And how can I get back out of this? <laughs> and the tools abstract that away. The GUIs abstract that away. So you don't really get a sense of what's going on underneath. Like for instance, GitHub Desktop, like I said, I've, I've used it for the book, which feels terrible, but at the same time, it solves a problem. It's easy. It's just quick. But GitHub Desktop, one of its uh, idiosyncrasies is that it automatically adds any change mm. you make to your directory structure. Oh, that's very interesting. It, it is. And it's very contrary to the way that Git works because Git's model is really about, you know, creating a change set. So you're creating, you're adding stuff to the staging area. And when you have this beautiful, perfectly crafted commit, you, you know, commit that and push that. But GitHub Desktop picks up every little piece of lint that you put in there. And even today, I, I wrote the darn book on Git. <laughs> even today, Oh, I'm using GitHub Desktop because I'm lazy or efficient. You can look at it either way. <laughs> it picked up some craft and now I've got some craft in the repo. And I had someone say, why did you push that? I'm like, because I didn't check. So it's tools are great because they solve lots of problems, especially with workflow problems. But when you get too far abstracted away from what Git is actually doing underneath and Git does a lot underneath, that's where the problems start. Yeah, you, uh, you reminded me of, uh, you said the perfectly crafted commit and i i've worked in the industry long enough that i have dealt more than once with an engineer who has made a commit of 60 or 65 files and the commit message is changed some stuff fix oh, that's the a bug. classic <laughs> fix the bug bug fixes and improvements and, oh, yeah, the joke and I, goes, have, yeah. I have in, in some instances rolled back those changes and said, now let's break those up into smaller bite-sized morsels <laughs> because I'm not doing the pull request for that. Mm. Oh, uh, and absolutely. And that's the thing about sort of crafting your commits, which sounds pedantic. It sounds silly. But the fact is, is that when you create these logical clumps of changes, when you create logical change sets, what you do is you provide the person down the road because as a developer, you want to create stuff that's easy to maintain. 
And that comes to your tool chain as well, because you want to give people a way to easily reason about why you did what you did. So after you get hit by a bus, people can come in and reason how did mm. they get to this point. And when you blow it up to a massively distributed model like, like GitHub open source projects, you need that information. These whole 65 file commits just don't cut it. So let's talk about what's going on under the hood, because in my view, SCM has always been a question of, well, let's just record the deltas mm -hmm. and run from there. Yeah, and that's that's how a lot of people think about it as well. And effectively, everything like SVN was is effectively this. It's just a sort of a series of deltas, a series of changes. And if you want to get from one point to another, you just replay the changes. And then that model makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, Git is a bit similar, but where it's a bit different is that Git always understands the structure of your, your working tree at any point. So it's not about just a series of diffs, although you can kind of reason that it is in the way this stores stuff. But effectively, um, Git understands the structure and the content of what you're doing at any point, at any commit point in that repo. Um, so what's beautiful about it is that Git has this wonderful store structure underneath. It's, it's turtles all the way down. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> and one of my favorite chapters um, in the book actually is called How Does Git Work? And that's where I sort of go in and I, I parse through the whole uh, the tree structure and the object compression of what Git does under the hood. So you're down, it doesn't need special tools either. You're just down there, you know, combing through the directories and figuring out the tree structure and how hashes relate to the way the directories are structured inside of Git. And then you can uncompress the objects inside the objects, like turtles all the way down. It's just, you've got this um, reference to a tree and you go look at the tree object and the tree is actually your files at that point in the repository. And then you start to understand it's just this massive structure, this massive elegant structure underneath which is, is a lot of gets elegance, I think, which I just, I really, really love. Is the book mostly about sort of the internals of how Git works or does it, does it dive into, um, you know, all the different front commands that you can use with Git and all the, the crazy little sub details that you can get into? It meanders a little, but not, not too much. Um, if you take a look, the book kind of is split in half. If you want to look at it that way, the first half is really about um, how do, like, is the basics of Git. So if you've never really worked with Git, especially in the command line, it takes you through things like um, just branching the Git log, um, merging, things like that, uh, stashes, just so that simple, simple stuff about Git. And then once, once I dive in and sort of explore the internals in that chapter I was talking about, then we get into um, a little more internal stuff, I guess. Um, you know, you talk about uh, sort of demystifying, rebasing, especially, like mm -hmm. what's happening underneath. Um, Git ignore after the fact is also in there as well because you have to sort of understand oh, how yeah. does the index yeah. work, right? Like if you commit something, then you stick in your Git, in, Git ignore, it's not going to work. We all know that. We've all hit this. Like why isn't it? But you actually explore the internals and understand that okay, this is in the index, and it's the index that helps determine on and on and on. So it meanders a bit. It comes in and out of three things. Uh, number one, the book sort of covers a lot of like the very nuts and bolts of what you need to do to actually functionally work with the team inside to get with all the commands and all that. Uh, then it dives into the internals, but then it comes back up and does a lot of problem solving as well. Mm -hmm. Like how do I undo? And the later third of the book is really kind of focused on stuff screwed up. How do I fix it? And that's one of the, I think the biggest um, obstacles to people using Git is that they hit this problem, like something as simple as a merge conflict or something as simple as a detached head or something as simple as um, committing something to repo you didn't want in there, and they think it's gone, just 
you know, nuclear, uh, you know, scorched earth approach, just get rid of it, mm. clone the whole thing again. It's like, you don't need to do that because Git mm. has a wonderful, wonderful memory and a wonderful, wonderful structure. And pretty much anything you do, you can undo. And that's, mm. and that's, it's kind of touched on those real world aspects. Like, just tell me how to fix what broke. And so one of the things you brought up was the rebase. Can you explain what a rebase is for people who have not come in contact with this glorious experience? <laughs> uh, it's funny. It all depends on your strategy as to whether you think rebasing is a glorious thing or not. <laughs> uh, rebasing, uh, I talked about sort of SVN was just basically replaying diffs on top of diffs on top of diffs. Um, rebasing is a little like that. So effectively, if you have two branches, um, typically what you do is, uh, and everyone's familiar, familiar with this model, so you'll have a, a main branch. Uh, and you'll branch off that, maybe some feature, maybe some changes, and you want to merge back. That creates a merge commit to say, okay, I'm merging the changes that represent this branch back to the main line. Sometimes you don't want that, and that's a whole political discussion I will not get into <laughs> right now about merge commits versus rebasing versus whatever squashing. I'm not getting into that right now. Because there is no right answer, except what I have in the book. That's the right answer. Um, but effectively, rebasing says, what if I made it look like, instead of branching, I just did everything on the, on the main branch, basically. So effectively, if I have several commits in my branch, what happens is that Git says, I'm going to rewind, and I'm going to replay the changes on that branch, and then I'm going to take your changes, and I'm going to replay those patches on top of it, so that, in effect... It looks like you did all that stuff in the main line. Now, it's, it's not what you did, but the fact is that you used the power of the branching model to do your work in a disconnected fashion so you didn't mm. destroy anything. And then when you know it's okay, instead of having the branches, you can just take that branch and replay or rebase it on top of the other one. The concept is simple. Uh, if you go through the book or if you've experienced it in life, you know it's not that simple. You get conflicts right. and things like that. But, it's, um, but it is powerful because it averts that merge conflict problem and when you have a massively distributed open source repo that does become a problem yeah being being an ios engineer uh not completely shifted over to swift ui as of yet i'm still dealing with things like the storyboard merge conflicts or the zip uh, yes. merge conflicts or the project merge conflicts where you're basically mm. dealing with a proprietary p list or a, a proprietary xml file that really does not want to be edited or viewed or understood right. yeah by humans at the very which least. is why it's yeah. like you get in there you make your change you tell everybody to pick up your change and then you move on <laughs> just force it all just trust me just take it <laughs> just just you don't want to diff this as you were going through and writing the book i'm interested uh i'm interested to hear if you if you came across any sort of new git commands or any any fancy extra flags that you started using that you weren't familiar with before oh wow um so i will tell you um i was no git expert when i started writing this book so i I'm cutting down my credibility like by not not by not sharing this show. I know. But Keep I, it going. But, <laughs> I just no one's gonna get the book after this. Everyone's gonna return. It'll be terrible. <laughs> um but I was not a good expert when I started this book. I I've been like I said, I've been a software developer for many, too many years. Um I've used lots of version control systems. Um I used to be a database administrator as well, so I'm used to like dealing with like really low level storage mechanisms and trees and indexing and like I normalization get normalization normalization oh yeah fully normalized yeah well, you know whatever um that's my past life that's my past life true um so i learned a lot 
with this because I was what I think is kind of the target audience for the book because I'd mm. get so far and then get would screw up and I'd say, ah, whatever, scorched earth, reclone. Okay, mm. now I can keep working and never took the opportunity to dig in and figure what I'd done wrong and why Git did what it did. Um, so, so much of what I learned in here, like, uh, like um, the Git log graph, for instance, I think mm. it's just this wonderful. If you're into ASCII art, man, this is your thing. Oh, yeah. It's so beautiful. I mean, there's better graphical tools out there, but just um, looking at the thing graphically, I think to sort of understand what's going on um, was really nice. Um, what I found, what I liked as well, I'm trying to think of any switches that I liked there as well. Um, for certain, what I really appreciated was the get ignore after the fact as well, mm. digging into the index. Um, I think I think that that's something uh, that is probably pinned at the top of Stack Overflow for me when I accidentally <laughs> commit something and need to figure out how to uncommit it. And I have a vague recollection of being terrified every time I copy and paste whatever command it is from Stack Overflow. So that sounds like a really helpful chapter for me personally. Oh, well, and, and it's funny the segues into what I was going to say as well is that you don't. I mean, I, I tell people you don't have to be afraid. So what you do well, I mean, you know, if you're forcing changes, just don't do that. That's terrible. But um, I was going to say one of the things I never quite understood and I really love now is um, working with uh, Git Reset as well, just so I can feel free to do things and push things. And, oh, that commit wasn't right. And just in the hard and soft and mixed versions of Reset, I, I really enjoyed that, actually, just because that makes you feel like you have a lot of control because you're mm. sort of rewinding history at that point. Um, and at that point, you feel you have massive control. You have a lot of mastery over sort of the staging area and your working directory. And and once you sort of understand how to get back to where you were, then you feel a lot less intimidated about forging, hard, forging forward with something. One of the things that I really love about branching strategies is not just the fact that you you can replay it or you can play it again or it gives you the sense of history but it gives you a chance to go run off and do something potentially stupid mm. and know that you can always come back to where you were uh, and i don't want to necessarily say this is something stupid but you know we just had wwdc all the new os's drop so what do i do is i immediately install the new version of xcode and i say this is going to be my ios 14 branch so that I can say, okay, this is me loading the code into a new X code with a new set of SDKs. It's going to break, but I can always go back to the uh, to the master version and say this never happened. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's like you can't be afraid to experiment. And I think that's kind of one of the strengths of Git as well is that branching is so cheap. It's just a label. Like here's a label, stick. There's a branch. That's it. That's literally all it is in Git. That's literally all it is. Um, so you can. Great, 100 branches if you want and try 100 different things. And if it works, merge it back in. <laughs> That's great. And the stuff that you don't, just get rid of it. And it's it really does permit you to do a lot of different things. Um, and because branching is so cheap in Git as well, it lends itself to lots of really different workflows, which is great. So whether you're using Gitflow, whether you're using Feature Branch, um, or literally even just like mainline development, which is a thing. And everyone like just mm. thinks I'm crazy when I say, yeah, a lot of people just develop off of master or main. And they're like, no one does that. I'm like, no, seriously, if you have a tiny team and you are on a tight deadline, everyone pushes everything to master or main. And that's, mm -hmm. that's just the way it is. And as long as you understand that, you don't even need branches. I highly recommend them, of course. But, <laughs> but um, it's just so nice that Git is so flexible with that. You can try anything. You can do anything um, as well. If you dig into the book or dig into it yourself, like the Git ref log as well 
doesn't just like you know track your commits it tracks everything you do and everything is is safe there it's got a wonderful mm. memory even when you're not at the computer it gets kind of spooky yeah man it knows my whole amazon purchase history it's kind of weird we won't talk about that it's blackmailing me right now actually a lot of people don't realize order this it has a plug-in for alexa now (laughs) Uh, oh my gosh i could not have imagined alexa get push force i can't imagine what that would do (laughs) alexa force push to master love it now of course people who are listening to this show are going thank god i'm on headsets (laughs) you just triggered alexa I have a, um, this is very tangential, but I have a, this glorious idea in my head that I've had for a while for, for the greatest hackathon project in the world. I want a giant, like really big two foot long rusty switch that takes a lot of effort that you can heft to one side and it slams down and it'll force push something to master. <laughs> that's my that's my ultimate hackathon dream. Sorry, I had to. Dis- I had to disco throw it out punk. D- disco no. punk. You 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 need that physical switch yes. to do it. Yes, it needs to be rusty too. That's very so, important. A lot of people think of of Git and source control because of the word source as a programming thing. So I've got to ask, did you use Git for the contents of the book? We use Git for all of our books, actually, everything. So all of our books are, are uh, in Markdown, actually. So mm-hmm. and because Markdown is a plain text, man, it's a perfect thing to stick inside a Git. And then you can diff everything. You can go back. You can merge stuff as well. So uh, if if you've ever worked with Microsoft Word, and it's gotten better over the years, but still not perfect, it's just... it has its own internal concept of merging and changing and it's kind of a disaster at the end of the day but um because git is so elegant and simple and beautiful and we used to make our books in word as well and we got rid of that as soon as we could but yeah i mean every single one of our books is a git repository uh it's because it just works so so well um i'm i'm writing another book actually i'm resurrecting a book i tried to write Nine years ago, it's a terrible science fiction book. I wrote it for NaNoWriMo, uh, 2010, 2011, something like that. Uh, there's, there's a term I haven't heard in a while. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so those, are, those listeners that don't know, so NaNoWriMo is something. This National Novel Writing Month that happens in November, the goal is to write 50,000 words in a month, which yeah. is harder than it sounds, way harder than it sounds. I wrote this a long time ago, um, but what I've done is I've been challenged to resurrect that book and bring it forward. So I've converted it into Markdown and stuck it in Git. Because as an author, you go through, especially fiction, you go through and you change stuff and you change stuff and you change stuff and you say, this is going nowhere, this is a dead end. And you can go back and get and see where you were before. It's really, it's really kind of mind-blowing, actually. Um, I, I wish this is something I'd bring to the masses as well. Just mm-hmm. change stuff in real time. Google Docs does it not too badly, actually, with their version history. But if I could bring that to the authoring masses, I think they would be just be blown away to like say i'm gonna go back what was i thinking six months mm-hmm. ago and it's there it never goes away i don't think i heard about yeah. nanowrimo i don't think i've last heard about it since my live journal days oh that's <laughs> oh, a live journal. journal oh my god that's good stuff <laughs> no i was just gonna say maybe the beard really does represent age <laughs> <laughs> um i think the the idea of using git outside of a programming context is a is a really great um, idea and concept. I at a at a previous company that I worked at, we actually had our entire um, like company handbook in Git. And if 
people wanted to change an aspect of the company or, or had an issue, they would open up a pull request or open up an issue and we would do all the comments in there. Um, I, I really think it's a, it's a technology that has way more application than just programming. Any, anytime you have a change set, it, almost every industry is going to deal with this. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we've just launched a big project in the last few months that we've been working on for about a year on RayWarenLink.com, and that's our internal guides for all the uh, people on the tutorial teams, on the book teams, video teams. Uh, we put everything in there, and it's a big, massive front end. It's, um, I think it's based on just the docs, which is a uh, open source project of its own. But again, every single piece of our guides is hosted in a repo. And literally to make a change, all anyone does, pull it down, make a change, push it up, open a pull request, and then Ray will merge it, I will merge it, something like that. It's like we have many non-technical people on our team who will go in there. And once once we get over the first hurdle about mm. using Git, now I kind of cheat and I use GitHub Desktop because it's a, it's a good model for, <laughs> for neophytes. It really is. Um, but then they create this and then GitHub Desktop's matured a bit. So you can just create PRs from inside the app, bring it to the site. You open the PR, create a request, or request review, and done. And so they're working with the whole Git workflow there um, from end to end, the whole GitHub PR, um, and then it gets merged, automatically built with the CI deployed. Um, it has such potential for so many things. And again, the history is there. We can go back. We can have a look. And um, it's, it's wonderful because it doesn't take a lot to get started with it. You can get started with Git with very, very basic kind of motions. Okay, I'm going to clone. I'm going to change. I'm going to commit. I'm going to push. If that's all you know, you can get pretty far with Git, which is nice. So I, I agree with you. I think it has a lot of potential for a lot of organizations. You just have, kind of have to break away from kind of the historical tools, framework, platforms you've mm. used um, and put a lot of trust in that repository as well and a lot of tooling around it as well, for like the rendering and the display and stuff like that. But otherwise, it's, it's so well suited to distributed projects that you find in any company. We've talked a lot about GitHub and that leads to the question, because it's distributed, you don't really need GitHub, but everybody really relies on it. Um, can you give me an idea where GitHub plays into the entire Git ecosystem? What GitHub does really well provides this wonderful cloud platform on which you can host repos. Uh, and they've just changed their licensing and pricing model as well. So now um, if you have a certain tier, it's free repositories as far down as you can go, I believe. There's a couple of different levels there. But what it does is allows you to host all these things and make them discoverable by the community. Um, you can actually, and one thing I'd like to add to the book in the future is how to spark up your own internal repo. Because there's a lot of things you can't put on GitHub. You wouldn't dare put on GitHub. Like it's just, you, you can't. It's proprietary. It's internal. It has no business being up there. Um, but you can spark up your own repo internally. But the service that GitHub provides is that, A, it's, it's in the cloud. It's redundant. It's distributed. Um, but also it's discoverable by the community. And not just that, but GitHub has a whole lot of wonderful community-based features around it, like the idea of a pull request, for instance, like is, is unique to GitHub. It doesn't exist in Git. That whole idea of a PR doesn't exist in Git. It's a GitHub thing. It's like, please take a look at this mm -hmm. and give me approval before we merge it in. And it's those, that's just one of the very tiny things. Uh, there's wikis on there. You can host entire websites on GitHub as well. They provide a really great community tool set for the repos, uh, which is what GitHub really provides to the people. At its, at its most basic, it's a wonderful cloud service, but 
GitHub and uh, GitLab and others have really, really great community tooling for sure to really not just get the project done, but create a great community around whatever you're building. And I mean, the the enterprise service, while it is a cloud service, does give you privacy in case you do have some proprietary stuff. If you've not really got the infrastructure to have your own servers up, it does give you an ability to have that cloud repo where your code is safe and it's not viewable by anybody, but you are paying extra for that privilege. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that exists for sure. And there's lots of organizations that take advantage of that. It does cost, um, but again, it's robust. You don't have to worry about, you don't have to have your own internal infrastructure for it as well. There's still the, the um, hardcore people that say, I want to roll my own. And you can. Yeah. It's a, a, a repo. It's just a repo, whether it's on your computer, whether it's on GitHub servers, or whether it's on your corporate internet. It doesn't really matter. Um, so GitHub does solve those problems. And it's kind of the standard. If people are contributing to a project, they have probably come to Git through GitHub. That is really kind of the gateway to the whole Git ecosystem is really people's exposure to GitHub. And Git itself is open source as well. So you can basically go meta on that one and you can go to GitHub and get Git. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of odd when you think about it. But yeah, it's, it's <laughs> Git itself is open source. And um, it's it's if you want to dig into the internals and you want to go look at how they've implemented this. But even before that, actually, I'd say go and look at the discussion forums on Git and you see the level of at which people argue about features and functionality inside of Git. And you think something at 15 years of age would be fairly mature, but you go on the discussion forums about features and some of these go on for years and years and years to talk about, mm-hmm. should we change this? Can we modify that? Can we optimize this? It's really fascinating. Even if you don't quite understand the actual structure code of what they're doing, their discussions about it are massively fascinating. That's all fantastic information, Chris. Thank you so much. And you said the name of the book was Mastering Git, correct? That's right. Is awesome. there a final release um, date for that? Uh, when it's done. Cool. No, uh, we uh, late summer, late summer 2020. Actually, we're in the final stages of that. So. Love it. Very excited for that. Um, Drew, you had mentioned that you wanted to talk a little bit about looking back on WWDC. Which is sort of an interesting sort of temporal paradox problem, (laughs) because when this show runs, it will have been about a month since WWDC. But while we're recording it, WWDC is still going on. And uh, there's just been so much to swallow. If you haven't seen the review show that we did... Uh, we do have a, a link in the notes that uh, a good team of the Ray Winderlich folks, Alex and myself, got together and discussed some of the highlights. But there is just some wonderful technologies. And I'm actually now at that point where I'm going to, to start really studying into Swift UI because I, I think that it's now shown a maturity not just for the UX widgets, but for being tied into an app as whole. Uh, one of my biggest concerns last year was the fact that SwiftUI was sort of presented to us in a bubble and Combine was presented to us in a bubble. But this year, there really is that concept of here is SwiftUI and here is how you create a watch complication. Yay, multiple watch complications. I am so happy. Um, that's part of my app, which I started on Git and, and all of that. Um, but I really think that this was one of those years where the Mac had its huge jump and last year iOS had its huge jump. 
And as a result, that means that iOS gets nice progressive change this year. And one of the terms they used was that it was additive changes. They're going to avoid mm. the swift two to three nightmare migration that we all went through. That's not to say that the Swift UI two to three world next year might not be scary, <laughs> but we can keep our fingers crossed. So I, I'm very enthusiastic about what I've seen. I'm very excited, and I'm going to take my copious lack of spare time and start eating up our Swift UI <laughs> books and all of the Swift UI videos that that they're dropping this year. Have you been um, Have you been watching any of the like developer centric talks that have been going on? Those oh. those started. Yeah, temporal weirdness today as of yes. uh, as a, a, recording. A, a, <laughs> as of the day of this recording, all of the non-keynote videos started dropping. I, I watched mm. Swift UI complications and that was absolutely fantastic. And mm. as I mentioned, the 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 app that I wrote for myself basically started as an experimentation to make a complica a complication for my watch. So to be able to really expand upon that with a sense of an app behind it now really excites me. I was I was wondering because the format this year obviously is very different for dubdub virtual. For sure. It's it's virtually virtual. It's it's very different. Um and I found people were very much split into two camps. Um the camp of people that found it unwatchable because it wasn't it wasn't a star-studded extravaganza we've always come to associate with a dub dub, but a lot of people found it way more calming and just less overwhelm and a greater ability to sort of consume what was being presented. Um, what camp did either of both of you fall into? I really fell into the camp of being thrilled to get the information. Now the keynote itself hasn't thrilled me in, in over a decade. And this would have been, had I been there this year, this would have been my 16th dub dub. So I, I've attended a lot of them. And the keynote does not excite me because the keynote is not meant for developers. It hasn't been for well over uh, a decade or more. It, it very clearly is marketing. The State of the Union began to feel a little bit like marketing, but now getting into the actual uh, meat and potatoes of it, it's wonderful to be able to just take the videos one at a time and have my time with them and not feel like I'm rushing from room to room, not feel like I'm rushing, trying to figure out, mm -hmm. am I going to take in 10 minutes of this one and then track it down later? It, it, it's very well organized on the website. It basically says, is this the topic you want? Here are the videos and the related videos and the past videos on that topic. So I think that Apple really went out of the way to take the money they would normally get to put together a conference and put together the material. And that's really what I wanted mm. to see the money go into. Yeah, I actually, so I haven't been to any WWDCs in person, and I'm sure that there's a phenomenal networking aspect and all that stuff that goes along with it. And you're, you're never going to be able to recreate that virtually, obviously. Um, but I, I really appreciated the lack of an audience I, I i didn't realize how much how kind of annoying to be blunt i mm -hmm. i find it when there's giant cheers after every announcement especially when you'll have some tiny you know we added uh bicycle routes to maps 30 seconds of applause yeah but that's like, canned not 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like that not is having a, a canned applause. During the keynote, they actually pump applause into the audience. It's wild. <laughs> so wild. Uh, but not having that, I found really refreshing. I felt like I could consume it at my energy level instead of kind of being artificially like, like, oh, I, am I cheering now? It was, it was nice to just have it, have the information presented without, without that extra tidbit around there. What I appreciated about it too, and uh, you know, the whole physical aspect of that has been removed, which is, you know, a big negative at the same time. Um, it's nice to know that you're experiencing it the exact same way everyone else is mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So it, even though there's there's problems with remote labs and all that, but you know that everyone's getting the same experience. So you can all kind of commiserate mm. about it together, yeah. which is which is which is kind of pulls it all together in a really odd tangential way. And there was no lottery, so you know that you you, you didn't have the anxiety of am I going to have to spend two thousand dollars at the last moment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you think this was a year for um, Apple to sort of regroup a bit on things like SwiftUI and Combine? Because last year they came out, not sure if they were fully baked, but do you think this is just Apple's year of sort of uh, reflection and cleanup on these you know, fairly fundamental changes? I, re- I really feel that SwiftUI got a good treatment that it needed to. I think that there was, I think SwiftUI had to come out unbaked specifically so that the developer feedback was there to say, well, where's this? Why do I this? How can I that? And that allowed them to say, okay, this is the problems. Now, how do we solve the problems as a whole? I think there's a lot more we can dive into with this, but we'll probably hold that until the after show. Uh, Chris, having you on the audio portion of today's show is absolutely wonderful. I'm looking forward to the after show with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it, it's it's a real joy and blessing to be on here. It's like, uh, you know, you listen to this for a long time. And then I got the request to be on here. I'm like, what on earth, why would they want to talk to me? But it's uh, it's <laughs> really great to sort of work on something like this Git book, for instance, and come on to talk about it. Because, you know, when I'm down the boiler room, just keeping everything running at the same time, you never get a chance to talk about this. But it's really fascinating i think it's great i hope everyone loves it and gets a lot from it so i thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about it and i hope everyone really enjoys it and gets even the smallest thing out of this i've been enjoying the early chapters of the book mastering git is going to be complete and out sometime summer of this year 2020 you can find chris online on twitter at i love this crispy twit uh We all know Chris is crispy. Uh, C-R-I-S-P-Y-T-W-I-T. Alex and I are sometimes on Twitter. Alex at Alex Sullivan 444. I'm on at Podcast Drew. That's D-R-U. Remember also we are continuing our Ray Wenderlich livecast talks. The one after this show drops, as I go closer to my computer to read it, is Ethan Sadia, Building Immersive AR Experiences with Reality Kit. And then our next episode of this season Ben DeFrancisco will be back on to talk about why mobile developers should be more excited about blockchain and crypto. Of course for those of you listening to the podcast we invite you to look for this episode in a few weeks on YouTube the video episode contains some of the information we left on the cutting room floor for time and a more casual after show which will begin with the guest shortly. We hope you check it out. But in the meantime we head back to the Emerald Castle Ray, back to you And that's a wrap Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.